Welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Stephen, we have so many things to go over. We I do. don't. I don't want to be that podcast that like starts with like a little bit of housekeeping before we start the actual content that you came here to listen to. But this week we actually do have some stuff that we should probably talk about before we get into everything else. Um, we do. Yeah. Yes. Do you want to do you want to make the announcement? Do you want to unveil yeah, our shiny new car that we just won? I do want to unveil the shiny new car we just won. Check out this Honda Civic. That's right. You want a Honda Civic. Decent mileage and great visibility. These windows cover all 360 degrees. I'm nothing against the Honda Civic. I've actually realized that I reference the Honda Civic somewhat frequently in my life as like... Just like the the definition of like generic car, yeah. You know? Yeah. Like I'm not snobby about cars. I know nothing about cars. Yeah. But Honda Civic to me just sounds unexciting. I mean, I specifically <laughs> bought the most generic, most popular car in the entire country, like on purpose. So what's your car? I have a Toyota Corolla. Oh yeah. It's not. It's not really. But that that was the point was I wanted something that had like easily accessible parts. This is what we want to talk about. This is our big exciting announcement. This is what car I have. I only had one car and it was a Volkswagen Rabbit, which is now the Golf. Anyway, we have a Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) Bit of housekeeping, huh? Um all right. Getting out of bit hell. We (laughs) we had enough of you contact us directly and ask us how you can support the show which i will never get over and know how to emotionally process the fact that a lot of you have reached out being like how do we how do we give you more like the the fact that like i don't want to sound like self-deprecating but like we both recognize like how many shows are out there and the fact that we have the listeners that we do is amazing the fact that we have like our discord and and, and a really nice like community growing around the show is really great and that matches up directly with our intentions with the show and the fact that some of you still were like what can we do even past that is yeah. I think, a testament to how great you all are and we want to respond to that request so we made a patreon and brandon and i talked a lot about what we wanted the rewards to be and we both decided we, we touched on this last episode we touched on this in the discord but we didn't want to make any content for the show directly that was that had any kind of paywall so because we're having any patrons we're going to be able to make bonus episodes once a month and those will be available to everyone so the idea behind that is the fact that we're getting any extra support it just lets us make extra stuff for everyone yeah so that's that's the deal with that Right now, uh, the tiers are... You can pay whatever you want, um, including zero, because listening is just already a gift. But if you do want to support the show, there's three tiers. One is a dollar, and you get a thank you on the show. Uh, Worth noting, if you want to support the show, but you're like, I don't want you to say my name or whatever reason, like you just don't want a shout out because it might be like too much or you're just not looking for that, uh, let us know. That's totally optional. Yeah. Otherwise, we will default to, uh, to giving you a shout out. The $3 tier is 
all that, plus a Google Drive link to the library of high-res episode art that Brendan and I make, mostly Brendan's disturbed genius. Uh, (laughs) And there are also wallpaper variants of all the episode covers So for mobile. So if you want to make any of those your cell phone backgrounds for whatever reason, you can. So it's a $3 perk. The $5 tier is everything before plus access to our monthly newsletter which we're going to begin starting in september so that's something we're really excited about and that will kind of take shape over time but that that's the deal with the patreon basically we'll post updates about all that i think it's also subject to change over time depending on how much support we get and what we want to do but the philosophy of like not making too much exclusive is what we want to stand by um so right now really the only thing you're not getting if you're not supporting the show is the newsletter and we'll see if that changes over time but that's what we're sticking to currently yeah and uh we'll be sharing that on twitter and in the show notes uh we shared it a little early with the discord crew and we're blown away by the immediate support to the fact where people were like competing over who was first like that's so unbelievably kind again i don't think either of us know how to process it uh so thank you for that and thank you for anyone who's interested in that and for making us make it because we weren't even really thinking about doing a patreon until people asked about it yeah yeah the idea of like monetizing the show was so outside of the realm of what steven and i were anticipating like within the first i don't even know five years of making this podcast (laughs) like yeah so just the fact that anyone asked us the fact that anyone is supporting us is wild um i do want to just make an addendum just a, a quick note like if donating to our patreon in any capacity means that you're putting yourself in like any state of financial instability please do not like please um i just i don't want anyone to donate to our patreon at the expense of something else so only only if you feel like you can if you're comfortable enough to do that do i feel comfortable accepting it you know what i mean but yeah so so just like i guess to give a little instance or some examples of where that money goes to um you know we we pay aj to edit this podcast hello aj we are talking about like maybe getting some other people to contribute to the newsletter which would be interesting you know equipment costs things like that so steven can start streaming his switch eventually that's that's i think what we have in mind for what that money is going to go towards for a Honda Civic. Yeah, Steven's going to get a Honda Civic so he can uh, travel <laughs> to New Jersey Hong more Kong. frequently. <laughs> this thing's got great mind. I don't know what this is. Let's yeah. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we should stop. And point being, the Patreon exists. Uh, it's patreon.com slash into the cast and you can go find it there. Just want to echo everything Steven said. Holy shit. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Wild. Also, like that's that's a the Patreon will be its own kind of project in a way so like if you all have any ideas or anything you want us to try uh we're still open to suggestions nothing is kind of set in stone with that yeah absolutely just yeah steve and i banged our heads against the wall for like what it was like a three-hour phone call we were just like what if it was this 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 what if it was this 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 um and even like (laughs) even day of we were making changes to what the reward tiers were so if you have any ideas of better things that we could be doing uh or things that you want um i guess let us know and, and we'll we'll mull it over and try and figure it out yeah together because the community is the reason the patreon exists so it only makes sense that the community would kind of steer that ship uh, as it were yeah absolutely so yeah. yeah thank you for all that and we just wanted to give you a heads up that that exists now yeah. wonderful yeah 
Can I um can I mention another thing that I'm doing that Please. I I want to stick at the front of the show? Just, it's a thing yeah. that I've been mulling over doing for a long time um, and finally started doing on Friday. So I for those of you who have listened to the show for a long time, you remember I had an Xbox One and I ended up selling it. We had a funeral for it. I have since resurrected it. Three days later, the boulder was pushed aside and my Xbox returned from the grave. And now wow. I now I have Biblical. one. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. It was honest splendor is I think the only word I can use to. <laughs> describe it um <laughs> anyway i i got an xbox kind of specifically because game pass is such a fascinating thing to me and i think for those of you who listen to the e3 episode you know that i have like a real fascination with game pass i've seen some reports like is it good for indie developers like what's the deal with this um Regardless, at the moment, I think it's just an incredible deal for people who play games right now. It's kind of like when MoviePass first came out and it was like, there is no way this is financially solvent. Like This can't exist for a long time. So I was like, I'm going to get an Xbox. I'm going to get Game Pass. And on our Twitch channel and our YouTube channel, I am streaming every game on Game Pass. I have started a new thing. It's called Into the Pass. Uh, so you can find that on twitch.tv slash into the cast or our YouTube channel, which doesn't have like a URL, but you can find the link in the show notes. Um, but so far, I've done Zoo Tycoon and Void Bastards, you know, the two games that you would start with if you were going through this. Um, <laughs> but there's like 260 something games on there and they're adding oh, them man. constantly. I think like maybe bi-weekly or monthly or something like that. Uh, so it's going to take a long time to get through them and I might never get through all of them. But uh, just wanted to shout that out as a thing that I started doing because it's really dumb and uh, I'm enjoying it so far. <laughs> I've enjoyed watching you do it. Yeah, it's a very tenacious goal. I'll give you that. Yeah. And it's been really fun. I, I think you're going to have such a interesting time doing that you know I yeah think it's gonna really it's gonna be a really i don't want to say educational experience but that was the first word that came to mind honestly it gonna... might be i think i'm already i already had my my preconceived notions of a game get completely shattered uh by, yeah with zoo tycoon where like i was expecting that game to be kind of what i remembered the original zoo tycoon being on the pc way back in the day yeah zoo tycoon on xbox tight it's extremely good it looks great I, I was really impressed with the animations of the animals that they probably had to like rotoscope a bear cub yeah like, it was <laughs> like it's really impressive it's a really impressive game so already yeah, i'm like fun. kind of blown away by the stuff that is available to be experienced on xbox game pass and i can't wait to keep going uh because there's a lot on there yeah for sure a conversation you and i have been having i think more off the show is like trying to push ourselves out of our comfort zone with like what we play yeah and i think game pass is the perfect way to do that because you're not investing like 50 bucks on a chance you know what i mean yeah totally like, uh and i think that that's what i see as the main appeal of game pass is like you're going to be way more likely to give something a shot because you're not committing you know x money to it right which i think is important so yeah i am really excited for that for that journey of yours i may even join you on a couple hmm, yeah steven's uh, coming to town uh this coming week and we have some fun stupid plans that i'm really yeah. really excited about and excited to share with everyone i'm gonna be your like tom bombadil on this lord of the rings <laughs> that's already saying too much i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, somehow that was the biggest clue I could have given yeah. you. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I'm going to be a lizard man uh, <laughs> who may or may not be the chosen one. Hey. Well, all well. that out of the way, that was a lot of preamble, pre-podcast. Um, yeah. 
do you want to maybe take a break and then come back and talk about the thing, or should we just talk about the thing? Should we I just think we get should just go it? right into it. You want to just get, think, get into it? Okay, cool. Yeah, Brennan and I played a new game. Don't worry, this is not Fire Emblem Three Houses Part Six quite yet. Yeah, I did need to like specifically pull myself away from Fire Emblem. I was like, I need to play other games for a little. Even bit. before we recorded, you're like, is there a student you don't like? And I was like, funny you should ask. I actually have uh, close read all of their backstories. Yeah, we've been recording that. for four hours so far, and three of those hours are Stephen just talking about every student in fire emblem three houses help me anyway uh <laughs> so uh we're gonna talk about a new game yes part three azure clouds white clouds <laughs> a short hike having no cell phone reception the young bird claire goes to set out on a short hike birds fly as frogs build castles near the beach this is a new season for many, and even though the mountains have a harsh cold, perhaps the end goal is warm. <laughs> <laughs> that, that turned into Microsoft Sands a little bit. <laughs> I was like, part three, Azure Clouds, Candida, see Claire, flying at it. Okay, the game is called The Short Hike. Yes. And it's great. Uh, it is for Mac and PC. I logged into Steam for the first time since like AOL, I think. Like, <laughs> yeah. I forgot what my Steam name was. It was like an inside joke from like 2008. I'm like, what is this? Yeah. Uh, I can't play anything because I have a Mac. Except for a short hike. I can play a short hike, which I did. You, you recommended it to me. I didn't hear of it. It's eight bucks. We try not to talk a lot about price on the show, but like I have seen some chats in the Discord about people being like, hey, like what's a great game for under $10? Here's one. And I think that that's, this one is great. Yeah. Uh, and it's under $10. Called a Short Hike. Who is it created by? I just want to find this. Uh, it's created by a guy okay. named Adam Robinson Yu, and right. there's a soundtrack by Mark Sparling, but those are the only two credits like listed on the website. So I assume it's like really almost entirely by this Adam guy, which is awesome. Yeah. It seems like a small team. I have beaten the game, yes. uh, quote unquote, and you know all, all the people responsible, including the playtesters, are in the end credits. Yeah, but yeah, very small team, very short hike. It is. We talked about how Slay the Spire is like our child. Like if, if like our interests kind of combined, mm -hmm. our kid would be Slay the Spire. I think this is our second child. <laughs> I think this is our younger, yeah, more spirited child because mm -hmm. it's. It has a lot of elements that you and I both like in games. So I'll just say right off the bat, it is... The graphical style is really interesting. It's like kind of cel-shaded, but also very pixelated. Yeah, it, it really leans as far into like its kind of jagged edges as, as possible as part of its art direction, um, which I think... Yeah. It honestly reminds me a lot, and, and we're going to, I think, maybe talk about Animal Crossing a lot during this, but it reminds me a lot of yeah. Animal Crossing Wild World specifically, like the way Wild yeah. World looked with, with those yeah. jagged edges that were, I think, unintentional on the DS. It was just like a limitation of the hardware is used yeah. to like really great effect in this game. Kind of Okami-esque in that way too, mm. I think, a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, it, it definitely does feel like kind of have a, a DS or 3DS like graphical style in that way. Yeah, if you were to, if you were to take like 3DS level graphics and blow them up to a full like 1080p mm -hmm. monitor, it would look like this. Yeah, yeah. So you play as a young bird named Claire, uh, who the game begins immediately in a car uh, at night, like really kind of serene but somber, and you have a short conversation. Uh, with I think your aunt. Yeah, it's your aunt. And your aunt May specifically. Your aunt May. Coincidence. Uh, with great power comes a short hike. Anyway, sorry, I made you laugh while you were drinking. So the game begins. You talk to Aunt May, and 
the the inciting event is not having cell phone service. Right. Claire, I, I, I would assume is a teenaged or young adult, at least. I honestly, the more I played the game, the younger I thought Claire was. Oh, really? Yeah, towards the end of it, I, I assumed that she was closer to like 10 to 13, I would say. Really? Yeah. Wow. I got like an 18-year-old vibe. Mm. But I think that's just a testament to Claire being kind of like an open protagonist. Yeah. Like, and yeah, so you're a bird of an indiscriminate age who needs <laughs> cell phone reception. Mm-hmm. I think I also just might be projecting my experience with cell phones where I didn't get a cell phone until I was like, 25. So like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no 10-year-old has a cell phone. Meanwhile, they're all making Minecraft tutorials on their iPads. Uh-huh. But anyway, so the game begins. Uh, you're guided to a certain hiking trail, and then it pretty much opens up. The game does a thing that I really like where they let you talk to characters as much as you want. And usually yes. they have at least like eight additional lines of dialogue mm-hmm. if you feel tenacious enough to keep talking. Yeah, it really follows the like night in the woods, oxen free yeah. kind of style of speech. Yeah. Where it, it, it all dialogue pops up as little tiny speech bubbles that are like broken up in such a way that emphasize those like phrases or like collection of words in a sentence uh, better than it would if they just showed you the entire bit of dialogue at once which i really 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 like the the like meter of conversations and jokes and like the frequent use of ellipsis yeah uh, reminded me a lot of night in the woods i mean i think that's a pretty like even more than animal crossing to a certain point i got a night in the woods vibe yeah Um, this is just day in the woods this is yeah thematically too like if night in the woods is kind of like a deep dive into like living with depression there there are some nods at like kind of living with sort of an awareness of like mental health obstacles in a short hike but oh yeah it's like it's way more i want to say optimistic in its presentation of it absolutely yeah so basically you're given you're given the direction of like you want to go on this hike to get cell phone reception but the game pretty much lets you play it however you want and there are a lot of characters you meet and pretty much every time you hit a fork in the road there's a sign that shows you like where the main hiking trail is or somewhere else. So right away you kind of fall into this like little town where there's a lot of really immediately appealing characters. There's a frog on the beach shore who is building sandcastles. Yeah. Um, who originally has like a fucking full ass shovel. Yeah, it's like then, a whole a whole spade. Yeah, and then you find a plastic shovel, and then you trade him for it because you're like, "Hey, I actually need that shovel, and this will be better for you to make sandcastles with." Yeah, he doesn't believe that small shovels exist. Even <laughs> you, you <laughs> right. tell him that there are smaller shovels specifically made for building sandcastles, and he responds by going, "That's fake." But if you can show me one, we can absolutely trade. Yeah, um, and then you give it to him, and he slowly begins. Every time you revisit him, he's made more sandcastles to the point yeah. where he has fictionalized himself as like prime minister of this uh-huh. like sandcastle <laughs> the government keeps changing and he keeps like being somewhat unsuccessful in his uh, political agendas yeah um in this fake sand kingdom it's really funny and that's just a testament to like whenever you revisit characters you get a little bit more of their story also if you revisit him enough you get a golden feather which is like the mechanics of the game are uh you can flap your wings to get a bit more height you can glide and you can climb, and climbing slowly reduces your stamina, kind of Breath of the Wild style, yeah. uh, which is limited by how many golden feathers you have, um, and golden feathers also let you you know, fly, so to even begin the hiking trail, you need three golden feathers, and as you get higher up, you need a little bit more, and constantly the game presents you with those forks in the road, where like, if you explore a little bit, you'll end up finding items and meeting other characters. There's even a pretty direct metaphor where uh, in the forest, kind of close to the beginning of the hiking trail, there are 
literally a tortoise and a hare preparing for a race. Yeah, there's a marathon um, that's happening that day. Yeah, and the rabbit's like, oh my god, I lost my lucky headband. Like, can you find it? And then immediately you see a tortoise running around with a red headband. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, like, I'm really excited to race that person. Like, here, take my headband. And then you give the headband back to the to the rabbit. And they're like, this isn't mine. But, oh, my God, it belongs to that person. Like, they're an amazing runner. This is probably four times as lucky as my old headband. Yeah. I'll take it. It's great. So there's a lot of, like, there's never any kind of generic dialogue. It's always very obscure and kind of weird but funny. Very heartfelt. The game's music, I think, is probably other than you told that you have to go on this hiking trail the game's music really does a lot to kind of set the tone of the game yeah there's a really really strong focus on just like ambient noise also and and the way that like the sounds of the trees blowing in the wind and like the rivers you're walking by are kind of babbling and and the waves crashing up against the shore because you're kind of like on an island all of that melds with the music so so well and creates just like the most serene almost like joyous landscape to traverse it's just like a beautiful beautiful place to be at all times there's not a single moment there's even a moment not a moment but like there's a place you can go visit that like is a graveyard and it is raining and like even that is weirdly beautiful and calming in a way yeah it is i mean to the point where like as you get further like towards the end of the trail there's some pretty creative platforming that starts which i was really impressed by yeah and the design of the game is really impressive because you can you can fall off at almost every corner and somehow like Whenever I've fallen off a mountain, sometimes like significantly far, uh, I end up in a cool new area. <laughs> there's no, there's no fall damage. You just end up discovering new things. Yeah, which is kind of the, I think the thesis of the game is like even if you're not able to get where you want to go or you fall down, like you're gonna learn from it. And like, you're going to be okay. Yeah. Which is like, if I had to sum up the game in one line, it's you're going to be okay. There's a kind of rival group. Uh, there's a mountain climbing club. That's just two people. Mm-hmm. One guy is like pretty nice. This little animal is like, there's actually thousands of people in this group. Like you're just seeing two of us here. Like we're actually like a really big deal. Yeah. And they unfortunately have a, a tough time hiking and you run into them a couple times up the mountain. It's a really like heartfelt. He thing. is a it's small a, raccoon a really... named Timmy, by the way. And I, I don't want to keep making Animal Crossing like illusions, but like <laughs> Tom Nook's kids are Timmy and Tommy, the raccoons, you know? Yeah. Just interesting. There's, Just there's worth a pointing very... out. Yeah, it's it's like <laughs> the the Animal Crossing inspiration is not subtle to the point where when they talk, they go like, <laughs> they do like that thing. Wow, yeah. that was a good That was really thing. good. <laughs> Oh wow! I uh, I learned something about myself. <laughs> okay. Anyway, it's a little bit less. It's more like a a little bit a little bit more muted than that. Yeah. But you get the idea. Yeah. The toned down version. Toned down for version. for a toned down game. But yeah, it's 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 really great. I mean, I I beat it in forty eight minutes. I also didn't explore nearly as much as I probably could have, which mm. is I think I'd recommend probably playing this game a couple times. I just really wanted to see how it ended. Like I really wanted to see yeah. like what was up there. I, for context, I played the game for about three hours before I finished it. Oh, okay. I oh, so you also finished it? Yeah, yeah. I finished it yesterday. I spent I would say like a good two hours doing everything that wasn't the actual hike you're supposed to be doing so like the game the game begins you talk to your aunt may she's like oh if you make it all the way up to the top of hawk's peak it's like a kind of strenuous difficult hike but if you can make it up there there's probably cell phone reception um and then 
I got to the point that you were talking about where it's like before you even start making your way up, you have to get three golden feathers. And I was like, okay, cool. So like you can go buy one from like a village ranger from the uh, the park ranger. Uh, and getting that first one allows you to like get to a second one that's like pretty out in the open. And then I started just kind of like running around the island or just like exploring before going up the actual mountain uh, and just finding all of these like incredible little like mini games and other characters I could talk to. And some of them would give you golden feathers if you did certain things for them. There's like this one really great moment where you end up on a beach and you pick up a stick and you play a game called Beach Stick Ball. I, I don't know if you played that. But it's pretty no, much, oh, it's amazing. It's just like a stupid game that these two people invented. And if you get a high enough score in it, you get a golden feather. So I was going around the island just like doing those kinds of things over and over and over again until I at some point had like 10 or 11 golden feathers. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to start climbing this mountain now. <laughs> and then and then made my way up. I started going up Hawk Peak um, and realized that the game like doubled in size immediately. It was like, oh, my God, like I, I just spent two hours on this part of the island and just making my way up a little bit brought me to a whole new world in a way and see for some reason in my it it is really great and for some reason in my playthrough i had found a lot of treasure and coins so i was able to buy a lot of feathers from that sketchy bird who's like hey hundred dollars for uh for a golden feather yeah Um, did you talk to him more did you did you get to the end of his storyline i don't think i got to the end but i know that he was like saving up for college basically yeah or like he had to, uh, it was like he was like 400 coins short of the semester, basically. Yeah, you um, can just save up 400 coins and just give him the money for his college tuition. That's amazing. Which is that. great. It's a really great ending to that story. Um, it's it's really cool. And then and then he charges you less for golden feathers after that, which is great. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, really good. So like at, yeah, he does pretty much s- every character you meet has some kind of turn like that or has some kind of like interesting twist to to their narrative. Even even in moments where like you're just kind of running around, there's like a little lake kind of thing, kind of like nestled in a valley between two high points. Um, and if you go up and talk to a walrus who's sitting there, who will give you uh, his old fishing rod and teach you how to fish. And it's like this really beautiful, serene moment where you just kind of like sit down. Like if you if you cast out a line and it takes a really long time for a fish to bite, which it sometimes does. Claire just sits on the ground and just like hangs out and you just they kind of like elevate the ambiance of of the of the wind and the rustling fauna around you and flora and it, it, it just like creates this really beautiful serene like actual fishing kind of vibe until eventually a fish bites and then you have to you know do a little mini game but yeah it's awesome i love it yeah i feel like i i missed a lot of the side stuff but i still really enjoy my time with it and without spoiling anything when you get to the top of the mountain you get a little bit more insight as to like why Clara needed cell phone reception, yeah. which I enjoyed. But it's just like, just a really, as much as it has direct influences from Night in the Woods, Animal Crossing, even like weirdly Celeste in the whole like mountain climbing metaphors yeah. um, and platforming, it's a really, really unique game. Yeah, I could I see really a lot of it. other games pulling from this one eventually. Like I, I could see... Yeah. I, I could see some people playing this game and saying, oh, my God, this is like a, a new thing because it really puts so much emphasis on like you have one goal, just like one very specific goal. But there are so many ways to go about getting there. Uh, and you can, you know, in, in a game that could take 48 minutes or less to beat, you can spend two hours not doing the thing you're supposed to be doing. And I, I just really, really appreciated that. This game, honestly, it makes me feel or it made me feel multiple times a way that 
I, has been reserved for like three games, like Stardew Valley, Animal Crossing, maybe Breath of the Wild sometimes really elicited yeah. the the reaction, the like emotional reaction I had where it's like, I just want to live in this place. I just want to be here forever. <laughs> um, and that was yeah. part of my part of my hang up from like actually doing the short hike that you're supposed to do was like, I want to see everything there is to do here because that means I get to spend more time here. Yeah. And you're rewarded for doing that. Like even when you make it to the top of Hawk's Peak, there's like a little tiny thing that you have to do before the game actually ends. And once you've made it to the top, you can help other people that you've met along the way get to the top of Hawk's Peak if you want. There are like little mini quests to do that. There are like caves that you can explore. There's a whole, eventually you'll meet a person who buys fish from you. And if you give him enough fish, he'll give you a book that allows you to log all the fish that you're catching and you can catch every kind of fish by like going and saying oh what if I fished in like an icy pond what if I fished in a river what if I fished on the beach and just like trying a bunch of different like weird things there's so much to uncover in such like a small concise game like it is so focused and somehow feels way more expansive than you would ever expect when you start playing yeah I totally agree. And it's interesting, too, because I feel like that sentiment you just shared of wanting to see everything in this world is something, not to go right back to Fire Emblem, but, like, that's how you've kind of been playing that game, too. Yeah. Like, exploring the monastery and kind of almost putting off what the actual objectives are. Yeah. Which I think is a testament to a game's world if, like, if everything feels as important as the quote-unquote main quest. Yeah. I think that this game does a lot to blur the importance. Because you don't know why you have to take this hike, but you do know why you might have to help someone find something or or whatever yeah i think this game has uh you use the phrase games of vibe a lot and we talked about sky i think last week right i've struggled getting more into sky because like the objective is so opaque Mm -hmm. like it gives you nothing yeah i'm like i don't know what anything means like i'm really trying to get more into it i think it's beautiful but like this game made me realize that like even though I think the beauty of this game is what lies beyond or around the main objective, the fact that there is a main objective is so important. Yeah. Like, I think you do need, like, hey, this is the skeleton in which we're going to build everything else around. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think that there is a pitfall of, like, feeling too open or, like, just too, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go yeah. or, like, why I would want to. I think that this game does a great job of giving you both an A, like, an A-plot objective and also rewarding you for doing everything else. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to dunk on Sky, but like you know, when Sky rewards you, I don't know what I'm getting. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know why it's important. So I think it's like I, I, I was thinking about both games because they are oddly going for a similar vibe. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to kind of figure out why this game works so much better for me than Sky. I think it's worth noting, currently. like a game like Minecraft, for example, doesn't have a discrete objective, right? There, there is no actual yeah. objective. It is just a sandbox, and that game works without any kind of any kind of objective um, because everything mechanically kind of like leads you towards that and allows you to just explore it in any way you want. Right. Sky has an objective, but treats itself like it's Minecraft that it is completely open, I think is the problem. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so not having like any sense of direction really when you start, I think is, is kind of the pitfall there, the pitfall in the, in sky. Yeah. But all that having been said, A Short Hike is an amazing game. It's I have never, ever played a game that I immediately like brought into the office and like showed everyone who would look at it. I was like, you have to see this game yeah. I'm playing. Like I just I went around the office. And I was just like I would just like crouch next to people's desks and just say, like, you have to see this and just like play it for like yeah. five minutes. And people would be like, oh, my God, this is great. I do feel the yeah. need to like champion it um, yeah. in a way. 
you know, because I haven't really heard much discourse about. It. I mean, it's, it also came out like a few days ago. Yeah, so, so. it's a, it's a humble bundle release. So um, it mm. came out, I think, just for humble. I don't I don't know the the like subscription service that humble has. Um, but this came out for people who back that in like March, I think, and then got a wide release last week everywhere else, uh, which is cool. I'm hoping you mentioned this yesterday. I'm hoping this game comes out for other things. Like I would love to play this on Switch again. Oh yeah, this would be great on Switch because like yeah. that, that's actually the one thing. It was a little bit difficult to control with my keyboard and my Mac. Interesting um, that you say that. I played it for I, I want to say like 15 to 20 minutes and then like Googled how do I hook up a PS4 controller to my Mac um, <laughs> and then played the rest of the game with a PS4 controller and it was great. Yeah. I, I got used to it eventually, but I think if it was longer, I probably would have done the same thing. Yeah, but that's a short hike. It's an amazing game. Immediately got added to my like goatee 2019 list like within 15 to 20 minutes of playing it just because i was so enveloped in in the world i love it i really really love it and i I think i'm probably gonna play it again at some point i think so too i think it's it's really it's a really nice i mean i I, i'm so happy the soundtrack is on spotify yeah it will become a go-to listen for me yeah and and there really is something to be said about a game that you can beat in one to two hours like that's great yeah i mean essentially after we both dunked like or dumped like three weeks into Fire Emblem Three Houses. Yeah. You know, it's nice to take a short hike after that. <laughs> um, yeah. But you need both. You know, I think I think we've we've often discussed that. Like you, there's a place for the 80-hour RPG. There's a place for the 40-minute game like this. Yeah, totally. And they can both accomplish things that are incredible. Yeah. Should we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Cool. Uh, we reached the top and we're going to fly down. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Steven, we're back, and Brendan, guess what? What's up? There's new Pokemon news. There's a lot of it. There's a lot of new Pokemon news. I've gathered some data, um, and I'm going to share some updates with you. It's so funny that this I... is the only thing that you and I will talk about that is even remotely adjacent to like actual gaming news is when there's <laughs> anything related to the new Pokemon game that comes out. Oh my god! I just I I I was as I was gathering these various screenshots, I was like, why am I not following the Pokemon Twitter page? This is a goldmine yeah. of just everything. It's unbelievable. Yeah, there I. Like, both in the Discord and you and I have been talking about Certain Shield. Like, long story short, I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be at least a good Pokemon game. But there's been a lot of discussion about kind of, like, I think the the stage set for it, like, it being a first-party Nintendo game on the Switch, like, will it be the definitive new chapter kind of thing? Right. It's hard to say. I mean, until we play it, we don't really know. Right. I will say they are leaning into just the most absurd game, which I like. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's totally for you and me, at least. Yeah, it's totally for you and I. Or no, you and me. God, you and I. It's totally for I. That's not grammatically correct. But you know it is correct. All this news that I'm going to share with you. I have (laughs) so much information. I don't even know what to start with. Let's start with the rivals. Let's start Um, with the rivals. That's a thing that you and I talked about a lot in, in previous Nintendo pokemon segments was our our ideas for what the rival team was going to be in this game and i don't think either of us landed on what it actually ended up being no you and i uh, our first idea was like the beatles which like, i still really like yeah i think i think I'll, i think i would especially like it if they just had like four rivals who were the beatles right, know, like, yeah <laughs> like I if that was the elite four yeah, exactly. Get ready for my sand shrew. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. God, I'm learning a lot about myself this episode, both of my Animal Crossing and Ringo impressions. Anyway, <laughs> um, 
I want to read this uh, straight from the Twitter page. Sure. Uh, get ready to face Bead. I think that's it, right? B-E-D-E? Uh, yeah, I think so. Get ready to face Bead. He's skilled at Pokemon battles and has the pride to match. He joined the gym challenge after receiving his endorsement from Chairman Rose. While clearly aiming to become champion, he also seems to have other objectives. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. So Bead, they've got some cool fashion, like a purple sort of like onesie coat with like a high collar it's a really good look honestly it is it really is and yeah so also the reason i said chairman rose with like a million question marks and suspicions is like there's no way chairman rose isn't the villain (laughs) (laughs) we've talked about this chairman rose is the head of the galler league and is like the head of like monsanto in the pokemon world or whatever like evil corporation is there Um, yeah Halliburton, if you will. I just, I just always throw Monsanto or Halliburton as like, okay, the corporation, Midgar, Shinra kind of levels. Of, <laughs> right. You know. So that's Bede. Uh, we don't know much about him, but definitely has the stage set for him. So keep an eye on Bede. Who's that other rival? You guessed it. It's Marnie. Meet Marnie trainers. She's teamed up with Morpico and wants to become the champion of the Galar region in order to accomplish a certain goal. She has many passionate fans thanks to her calm, calculated battle strategies. Marnie rules kind of a punk vibe uh cool haircut uh definitely a good rival so cool in fact that she has a fan club (laughs) 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 called team yell the pokemon twitter has the fucking gall to start this with you knew this was coming no one did pokemon (laughs) twitter You knew this was coming, trainers. Introducing Team Yell. These troublemakers will attempt to get in your way at every opportunity. They want nothing more than for Marnie to become champion, and they'll stop at nothing to make that happen. Yeah. So I'm on the uh, team- I'm on the Sword and Shield website, and it says uh, they want nothing more than for Marnie to become champion, and they'll try to obstruct all other challengers in all sorts of ways. They will take over hotel lobbies, prevent other challengers from accessing transportation, and even shout and distract opponents during battle. Whenever Marnie battles, it seems Team Yell grunts are quick to appear, showing their support with Marnie print towels and also horns. Yeah. The so like we talked about, you know, Marnie's cool look. Team Yell looks like a combination of, like, every 14-year-old going to their first Warp Tour show <laughs> and, like, mixed with, like, extreme well. I mean, everyone has kind of made comparisons to, like, extreme fandom, kind of, like, we stand Marnie kind of stuff. Yeah, um, totally. It's great. It's, 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 I love them. I would do anything for Team Yell and to join, to be honest. Although I think my allegiance is still Team Aqua. In terms of absurd Pokemon teams, they're still my yeah. favorite. Because this, like, since Team Skull, oh, so Team Flare in Pokemon X and Y, we've discussed this, was, like, the most ridiculous villain squad, head by Lysander, the Javert of the Pokemon lore. Right. But that was, like, supposed to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, that was presented with no shred of irony or self-awareness. It's like, oh, yeah, of course somebody would be so angry at a lack of style that they would aim to wipe (laughs) out all of civilization. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then following that was Team Skull, which was kind of, like, just a total parody of, like, the teams in general and team yellow is like really falling into that even more so yeah um, where it's so like I'm, they're not even evil as much as they just love something a lot they which, just really like marnie yeah i'm not gonna dive into maybe <laughs> the implications of that as a team you know thematically yeah. but <laughs> yeah I, I take back that i want to join team yell because it's like a little creepy <laughs> I think. I mean, it just seems like it's toxic fandom. The times one hundred. Yeah, like turned yeah. into the enemy team, right? It's it's toxic fandom villainized, basically. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mixed with like Warp Tour 2004 aesthetics. You know, yeah. yeah. Aesthetics. So that's Team Yell. Amazing. Well done, Pokemon. Yeah. They're incredible. Um, so I I wonder though, is it only for Marnie? Does Bead not have a team? I don't think so. I mean, not <laughs> that, that we've seen. Maybe they do. Who knows? We don't yeah. know. We don't know yet. I mean, I'm looking at the list. So on on the Pokemon website, there's like a list of characters, and and they show everyone that they've unveiled so far. And there's a bunch of empty spots for like other things to be unveiled. Mm. So like maybe there's another team at some point. Well, I will say that the shot of Bead is in a canyon. <laughs> Like in the desert, and they're alone. The shot of Marnie is in like a very gloomy forest, and there's one member of Team Yell holding up a Marnie poster in like the <laughs> distance. It's great. <laughs> I'm curious though if Marnie. I feel like Marnie probably doesn't want Team Yell around. I'm, I'm I'm calling that now. Like I feel like she must not be into it, or maybe she is. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, probably not. Right. Probably probably at least like wishing that it was at a different level. <laughs> <laughs> than it is maybe team yell could be team you know shout from a distance kind of thing uh, um, you'll have to face them many times during your travels they'll try and get in the way of gym challengers marnie seems to be able to get them to stop though is what it says here ah uh, okay so she's probably like hey you're all ridiculous please cut it out yeah maybe I'm excited for that story. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Honestly, um, that's my that's my main takeaway from all the stuff that's been revealed so far is every character seems really fleshed out in some way, shape, or form. It seems like they're really putting a lot of effort into making all of these like challengers and gym leaders and elite four and everything, every like ancillary thing, just like fleshing that out as much as humanly possible, which I think could make for a better game. Yeah. And I'm I think excited about I think it. All this stuff has has shown that they've really cared about making this world feel unique. Yes. Um, which I like a lot. Which I think leads pretty well into the new Pokemon. Yeah. So we got some new Pokemon and, and also confirmed, uh, like Sun and Moon, that had Aloha region versions of pre-existing Pokemon, the same with uh, the Gala region. So don't worry. I got all the information here. Let's start with more Pico. Uh, case in point, meet more Pico. <laughs> Um, okay. More peak. I love the confidence in which they open all these tweets. They're like, you knew this is coming. Here's Weezing with a baby's face. Yeah, <laughs> what? The Teletubby's son is catchable now. Oh, God. <laughs> Case in point, meet more Pico. More Pico constantly generates electricity with sacks in its cheeks, which consumes energy, causing more Pico to be constantly hungry. Hungry. Retweet if you can relate. Oh, my God. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to start ending all my tweets with retweet if you can relate in parentheses. <laughs> Morpico joins the like weird subsidiary cult of Pikachu esque Pokemon. Yeah. Although Morpico's got a little bit more going on here. Uh, there is kind of like akin to like a persona demon. <laughs> Uh, a transformation for Morpico. Yeah. With prolonged hunger, the balance of hormones within Morpico's body changes. This causes its fur to change and triggers more aggressive and violent, uh, volatile behavior. In short, trainers, Morpico tends to get hangry. Again, mm -hmm. retweet if you can relate. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Retweet if you can relate. Is the, my new tattoo? I'm getting that tattooed on my on my arm in the script. <laughs> Holy shit! What do you think of more Pico? I love I, I'm interested. Yeah, I'm interested in how you cause the change to happen in battle. You know, I I have some theories about some stuff in this game that they haven't announced yet. 
Okay, what's up? I I so we'll talk. Maybe we'll talk about it separately later. But uh, they they reveal that you can send your Pokemon out to do jobs. Like you can literally like employ your Pokemon later. Um, <laughs> that's that seems like one of the ways in which you can interact with your Pokemon, uh, interact with your Pokemon in like new and interesting ways. I guess in this game, I think they're gonna bring back the like you can pet your Pokemon and you can feed them. And I think like the hunger levels of Morpeka will actually change the like overall like type of the Pokemon. I think I think that's what's going to happen. It's like mm. for every Pokemon you can feed them if you want to, but for Morpeko specifically, you actually have to keep an eye on hunger levels. That's interesting. To change the form back and forth. Maybe. That, 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 that makes just sense. Seems, it seems like if they're going to adopt that from previous games, like that's a kind of cool way to incentivize people to actually use it, I think. Yeah, um, I mean, there's also been Pokemon that like only evolve if they're happy enough and stuff. So right, like, yeah. There's always been kind of like oddly specific requirements for like one or two Pokemon. Right. So I can see them doing that. Exactly. The that's, other thing that I love about Morpeko is that it has pockets. Yeah, it does. It's really uh, important to me. In its in its skin. Yeah, anyway, it just holds food there. It holds food there, so it doesn't get hangry. Retweet if you can agree. <laughs> if, retweet if you can agree. <laughs> <laughs> if you me, can relate. Help me, I'm trapped and I can't agree. <laughs> I would retweet, but I can't. Um, <laughs> I can't agree. All right. Retweet if you want to move on. I do. Uh, Galarian. Uh, Galarian? Yeah, Galarian. Galar region. Galarian, I guess, would be it. Yes. Living in the unique environment of the Galar region, some regional forms have developed unique evolutions unseen in other regions. That's right, trainers. Some poke. This kind of sounds like me. Now I realize, as I read the Pokemon Twitter, it often goes like, that's right. Like, I don't know. <laughs> anyway. That's right, trainers. Some Pokemon only evolve from Galarian forms. Yes. Interesting. So I really like this. This started in Sun and Moon with uh, the Aloha region. I think this makes the world seem bigger. Like I like that a Rattata in a different part of the world looks different than a Rattata in. It's rad, in, uh, yeah. And it's a cool way to like add some more change to without like adding hundreds of Pokemon each time. Right. Leading us to uh, Galarian Weezing. Just unbelievably. This looks like a, I told this to you off the show, but it's like a political cartoon from like the Carnegie era. It's like, <laughs> it absolutely is, yeah. New Pokemon discovered. Galarian wheezing consumes polluted air and poisonous <laughs> gases for sustenance. It then emits purified air from the tops of its head. How helpful. Wow. Yeah. So it's actually not causing pollution. Yeah. Um, worth noting, it looks, it's steel colored. So it's like kind of a steel gray. Mm -hmm. It has green, a big green mustache uh, and big top hats uh, with smoke coming out. Yeah. It kind of looks like a factory, but then it also looks like the Monopoly Man. Um, yeah. It's a good, it's just really good. It's also poison and fairy type, which is interesting. I love it. Because I could have sworn it looked more like a steel type, but hey, I'm not, hey, who do you think I am? Professor Oak? I love this Pokemon so much, Stephen. <laughs> I love it so much. I'm it, falling in love with the Pokemon Twitter. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I just need to read the next tweet about <laughs> sure, the Galarian Weezing. Okay. This is how they start the tweet. Three words. Galarian, period. Form, period. Pokemon. <laughs> Retweet if you love. These Pokemon have adapted to the environment of Galar and look different than the species might look when found in another region. Their behavior also differs from their previously discovered forms. Love that. I'm sorry, what you're going to say? I just, I had to get the three words. Galarian. No, I... Form. Okay. Pokemon. 
I know. I was just going to talk about how much I love wheezing. Galarian wheezing is an incredible thing. Um, th- there's been a lot of uh, discourse that it looks a lot like a bong, which I yeah. think you know you can't really you can't discount that. It's an incredibly valid read of Galarian wheezing. But you're absolutely right. It looks like it's just like it's just like Galarian John D. Rockefeller. You know, like it is. Yeah, it's so good. Um, I like that it's actually like making the air nicer, though. You wouldn't expect that. Yeah, this is kind of. There are a lot of themes in this game that I think are being explored that, like, we're not really privy to 100% yet. We don't really know what's happening here. But, like, the idea that there is a Pokemon that exists that can take pollution and then expel clean air changes the society of that world so much. And this is the thing I bring up on this show weirdly frequently, but I'm so fascinated in like how a civilization can exist with Pokemon. And this specifically is like, oh, you can pollute as much as you want. Like you could literally just like industrialize to the point of like no return as long as you have a bunch of Galarian Weezings around, which is wild. The... Dickensian vibe set up with the UK setting with the yes. like, Edgar Allan Poe haunted raven who we've discussed many times mm-hmm. with the Carnegie Mellon Rockefeller <laughs> and the fact that the villains are potentially the corporation that runs the league as well as the Team Rocket being obsessive fandom like there's so many actual set pieces for this game to be a very like heavy critique of capitalism right like, right away right? like, like That's it's, the thing it's that I, yes and I'm yes. just I'm just so on the edge of my seat to see how far they commit to that. I know. I think Gigantamax also kind of falls into that where yes. like we've joked about like, oh, the people need everything to be bigger and they need more and they need it constantly. And I think Team Yell has kind of uh is the extension of that of like villainizing excess. You yeah. Know? I know like this like we've we've done this in the past, whatever this Pokemon updates, we like fill in the blanks with our own lore. But this I don't think we're far off. I think there's actually, like, you could read what's being set up as that, especially with Team Yell. So fascinating that that they're doing this. I really (laughs) hope that they, I hope this isn't all surface level. Like, I hope that there is, like, an (sighs) actual kind of darker read here. I hope this isn't just, like, like, appropriating the ideology of, like, capitalism is bad just to, like, create an aesthetic for this game. I hope that they really lean into that as as a theme. But, like, also, this is a game for children, so can they do that? I don't know. Yeah. But, like, you've talked a lot about Final Fantasy and what that story was like, and that was also ostensibly a game for children that was, like, about you being part of, like, a counter-terrorist faction that, like, was, what, like going after some kind of like they, they were like they were like eco-terrorists in a way yeah i mean like ff7 is ff7's like maybe i would argue like ya you know i think it's more of a young adult vibe yeah. for how dare you say that game is for children first of all second of all okay. uh, <laughs> i know but you're right i mean pokemon is like the game for it's a game for kids it's a general yes. it's a general audience game it's like pixar it's like disney it's it's i mean nintendo's that in general but i think even more so than like Zelda or Mario, Pokemon is for everybody. But also the best media that we all experienced growing up and the media that we all remember from growing up is the stuff that treated kids like anyone else. Like they were intelligent because they are. You know what I mean? Like if if you if you treat them like people, then yeah, it's great. So I I think like 
Last Airbender is a great example of that. I think, you know, just a show that was like on Nickelodeon as a cartoon for kids that dealt with some like really heavy shit, uh, especially by the end. That show was still for kids by the end, even like Adventure Time, things like that. Like that's that's like a, a prevalent thing in media. So I, I maybe they will. Maybe they will go down that road with this game. Yeah. And if they do, I'm going to be fucking amped about it. I will say uh, Maurice Sendek, who wrote Where the Wild Things Are and a lot of a lot of kids books yeah has a great quote i think there's a really great interview with him with stephen colbert from a while ago uh mm. b- shortly before he passed away sadly but you know colbert in character is like so i hear you write books for children or he's like no like i just write books and then some editor or publicist decides that they're for kids you know and yeah. like i think that is kind of i mean i think it's good to know like who your audience is but i think like there's a big difference between you know because like where the wild things are is a book that like you remember and like you right. might even revisit or share with your kids you know like totally. it's not like some crap that's like just brightly colored and shoved in your face <laughs> you know yeah like, yeah uh but that that's definitely a, a conversation that that is worth having but yeah i mean so pokemon is is beloved by all I think is a good way to phrase it. Yes. Um, but I think it's also worth noting that we're not going to expect a, like, you know, Chuck Palahniuk critique of capitalism in, in Pokemon. You yeah, know? yeah. I'm not expecting uh, this to go, like, a Persona direction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, like, as um, far down the well as Fire Emblem Three Houses gets in the second sure. half. But I think it's, I mean, even almost more bananas than than a critique of, of like, industrial revolution capitalism in a Pokemon game is uh, in black and white the villains were like PETA basically yeah they were they were people who their goal was like hey we're abusing Pokemon like this is basically like dog fighting yeah. at a certain point uh, give them to us and obviously they had a secret evil agenda but like that game directly explored like the morality of like the game itself which I thought was kind of interesting yeah I thought um, it ruled especially yeah. because like that's a thing that actual PETA in real life always calls out the Pokemon Pokemon company for <laughs> right right so Which is wild yeah so like and like they like that's a really interesting message to explore uh yeah. they were also dressed up as knights from the medieval time right <laughs> and like we're clearly stealing everyone's pokemon so they could use them um uh, so. detective pikachu also goes into that a bit i don't know if you still haven't seen that movie, right? No, I haven't. That's um, interesting. The the world or the city, uh, Rhyme City, that that movie takes place in um, exists as like a haven for Pokemon and people together where it's like we should coexist. We shouldn't own Pokemon. They should just live alongside us um, is the whole reason that that city was built, which is interesting. I won't say any more than that for spoiler reasons, but it's a cool setup at least. And it's a cool idea. Yeah, for sure. That brings us to Galarian Zigzagoon. <laughs> of course uh, it does. Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> Where else would we go after that? <laughs> New Pokemon discovered. Galarian Zigzagoon is considered to be the oldest branch of the species. Oh. Wow. So it the Zigzagoon provocative... we met in Ruby and Sapphire is, is actually... Like the domesticated kind of evolved yeah, form like of, Ho- of the... Yeah, like Hoenian Zigzagoon. And this is just Zigzagoon. Right. This is Zigzagoon at its purest, which is yeah. a member of KISS. Um, <laughs> so Galarian Zigzagoon is considered to be the oldest branch of the species. It has a provocative attitude and enjoys battle. The humans tend to think it's just playing. Wink face emoji. This is this is. I think I fall asleep and I write for the Pokemon Twitter <laughs> <laughs> when I think I'm. Anyway, Galarian Zigzagoon. Uh, it's got its tongue hanging out, eyes half open, red eyes, white and black stars on its eye, which kind of gives like a, a kiss vibe, a glam rock vibe. Yeah, which I love. It's just a badger. It's just it's just what a badger looks like. 
in in Europe versus what the original Zigzagoon looked like, which was just what badgers look like in Japan. Yeah, they're brown in Japan and they're black and white in Europe, but turned into, I think, like a glam rock goth vibe is a really mm-hmm. great direction for them to go. I got a new member of my goth team that I'm slowly building. Oh, yeah. Are uh, you going to get Zigzagoon? Got, absolutely. There's no way. Uh, cool. New Pokemon discovered Galarian Lanoon can reach speeds over 60 miles per hour and deliver devastating tackles and headbutts. These attacks have enough destructive force to knock a car away. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. They just write this they stuff gave, without like, thinking hard about science. it. You know yeah, what I mean? <laughs> to knock a car away. But they can also throw Lanoon off balance if they miss. Well, yeah. That's a lot of, that's a heavy investment into a headbutt. Yeah. Then it brings us to Galarian Obstagoon, which is, this is where you get, I'm not the first to point this out. You get a very, like, uh, what's his name? Gene Simmons vibe with yeah. this one. Oh, absolutely. Obstagoon, which evolves from Galarian Lanoon, is an example of a Pokemon that can only evolve from a Galarian form. That's all you got? <laughs> you give us so much for... I'm on the Z- website. Let me let me see if I can Lan- find some more on the website. Obstagoon. Here we go. Living in the unique environment of the Gala region, some regional forms have developed unique evolutions unseen by any other region. Obstagoon, which evolves from uh, Galarian Lanoon, is one example. Though Obstagoon is extremely combative, it seems that it doesn't often launch the first attack. It will taunt an opponent, goading it into attacking. When it does, Obstagoon will cross its arms and meet the oncoming attack with its obstruct move. Obstagoon is especially skilled at throwing its opponents off guard and counterattacking with sharp claws. I feel like Obstagoon talks like Sid Vicious. Like, I feel like it has the <laughs> it has the like vibe of of Gene Simmons, but yeah. has the like personality of Sid Vicious, which is just kind of foul across the board. <laughs> um, yeah. But you need you need a British punk rocker on your team, and I'm absolutely gonna get Obstagoon. Its ability is that's reckless it. guts. Reckless guts. Retweet <laughs> if you agree. <laughs> yeah. So when all is said and done, you should not be employing your Pokemon. You should treat them well and yes. feed them or else they become hangry. Retweet if you agree. <laughs> I do agree. I wonder if uh, I'll, I'll wait for more visibly goth Pokemon to come my way. I hope it goes right <laughs> on the border. Right now it's Corviknight. It's the, like the, the piece of coal with a red eye mm-hmm. and uh, an Obstagoon. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be a good team. It is going to be a good team. I might also make like a like Monopoly Man team <laughs> with Galarian <laughs> Weezing. <laughs> And like probably like, I don't know, the Monopoly boat or whatever they're going to add to this. Steven, I'm so excited for this game. I'm just looking at the list of all the Pokemon they've announced so far. Remember Yamper? Yeah, I do. Uh, It's just a little electric corgi. We got to stop. We got to move on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that's the updates. Uh, We'll share more. I love this. This is my new favorite segment of the show is revisiting the Pokemon Twitter. (laughs) I'm just looking at a picture of Morpico with his hands in his pockets, and it's so good. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're Team Yell for Corviknight and Morpico. Yeah. I'm like... We're team yell for this game. Yeah, we are. Let's move on. <laughs> let's take a break. Uh, let's take a break. Let's re- let's unwind, retweet if you can relate. I can't get over that. I know it's <laughs> not even funny anymore, but it just looks <laughs> so funny to me. It's the definition of like, how do you do social media? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. <laughs> I remember I uh, just real quick. I one of my like first internships was like a social media manager for something, mm. and my boss was like, "Hey, I think it's a really good idea to message everyone who follows us on Twitter and thank them for following us." <laughs> That's such a and like, I was like, "That is a fucking yeah. nightmare." Like they don't even do that on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. Oh my you god. You want me to endorse them for computers? Anyway, goodbye. Uh, please endorse me for computers on LinkedIn. Goodbye. On endorse you for computers. Endorse if you agree. We are back. 
in the podcast. Hello. Hello. I can relate. <laughs> oh, wow. Did you retweet? Uh-huh. Uh, like, comment, subscribe if you can relate. I want to actually, that that leads well into the thing I want to talk about, which is a video essay that I watched recently. I watch a lot of video essays on YouTube. I don't know if um, that's a thing you do, but it's a pretty common thing to do on YouTube.com. Um, I watch a lot about film and about video games. That's pretty much it. And I just found one recently by a guy named Jacob Geller, who I'd never heard of before, but I saw um, this one essay that he had made going around that was called the decade-long quest for Shadow of the Colossus's last great secret, and it's a wow. it's a twenty-something minute video essay that just kind of like goes over the history of this one really expansive forum post uh, in the PlayStation forums, the official PlayStation forums, talking about how there must be one last great hidden thing in Shadow of the Colossus, and people started this post with like a really wild, um, you know, around when the game came out and went all the way up through the PS4 remaster that came out, which is really wild. So just like, did you play Shadow of the Colossus? Oh yeah, I'm I'm actually amazed we haven't talked about that more. I had on the PS2, loved it, and I actually really like the PS4 remaster. It's really good. I never played the remaster. Oh, it's great. I mean, it's the same game, but it's like, it, that's a game that I think half of it is sort of the the atmosphere and like oh yeah it's like uh, for those who who haven't played it um, I'd highly recommend it either one really I mean I think if you have a PS4 you could pick up the remaster I think it's like thirty dollars which yeah. is warranted because I think it's like they it's not just like a cleaned up version of the old game like they I think they made it from start to finish like right oh I'm not sure I don't remember either way um uh it's a game that. I would describe it as like a minimalist version of Zelda where uh, yeah. it begins with like uh, you're this kind of wandering dude with a sword link adjacent for sure. Yeah. And there's a young woman who is kind of like comatose in this temple and it's in this place. The land is like forbidden and it's known to be like lurked by a I think 13 colossi. Right. Or twelve? Um, I think it's. I think you're right that it's thirteen. Oh no, it's sixteen. It's sixteen. It's sixteen. Yeah. And this voice from beyond tells you, like, "Hey, if you slay all the colossi, we'll bring this girl back to life." Basically, right? Like, she'll be fine. So half the game is you. Uh, you always respawn at this temple, and you have a horse, uh, Agro, I believe, mm-hmm. who is gigantic. Who's gigantic, and uh, you. Uh, one of the main things you could do with your sword is a ray of light guides you to where the next Colossus is. You uh, ride there by horseback. And this the journey is very solitary. There are no NPCs. There are no towns to visit. There are no... The only thing you can do on the way there is find white lizards that will increase your stamina. Yeah, that's um, literally it. But the whole thing is really just like vast open landscape and that's why i recommend the ps4 version because the ps2 one just doesn't hasn't aged quite as well it still looks really nice but like such the bulk of that game is like the scale of the natural environments um and there's some kind of platforming you know climbing and and exploring yeah very similar to breath of the wild in terms of how the stamina and climbing is used actually yeah which is weird that we would bring that up with a short hike also yeah yeah i mean i remember when when the like pre-release like teasers of breath of the wild were shown a lot of people were calling it like zelda shadow of the colossus yeah basically heavy influence there especially with like the the attention to detail and the atmosphere and kind of the minimal vibe almost yeah and the bosses uh the colossus they all have a way to beat them 
but you you aren't told outright. So a lot of it is like trying to figure out how to climb these massive beings and and how to exploit a weakness so the first one uh you learn that you can climb the back of it and then what's really great is that the music changes if you're doing something right so there's like a really they do the same thing in in uh, breath of the wild too and actually the other than the ganon bosses like there are bosses in breath of the wild that just kind of pop up out of nowhere and yeah. are treated in a very similar way but yeah i i i adore that game i would love to talk about it another time I think it is a landmark. And I'm not alone. It's not a hot take. <laughs> yeah. This is like the Citizen Kane levels of admiration. Yeah, uh, it is it is the the impetus for the actual, like real, not ironic discussion of like our game's art. Like that yeah. that discussion started because I think people asked Roger Ebert to play this game. And yeah. he was like, there's no way games could ever be art. Yeah. W- was was his take on it. And I think his reaction after playing this game was like, ah, me and my big mouth. <laughs> He's like... Oh, really? I, I, well, he had actually, in his blog, he had a response. Like, once he finally, like, engaged in that conversation. Given yeah. this is, like, back in 2004. Right. I think that's when the game came out. But he was like, a lot of people told me to check this game out. And he, he ba- his take is basically like, he's like, now that I've experienced this... It's not my place to really say because I don't know anything about this medium. But he's like, just like some movies aren't art and some movies are, he's like, I think the same can be said for games. Where he's like, I think that... And I, I don't really blame him for thinking that way because Roger Ebert grew up in the era of like, you know, like when games were a thing, they were like the arcade, you know, and it, it was yeah. like a toy. So like, right, right. I think anyone growing up in that generation would be hard pressed to consider games as like works of art. Yeah. But I think that's a testament to like throughout that blog post where he's like, the thesis of it is basically like, okay, games are capable of being art, but not all of them are like any yeah. medium. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think of the art or not art Twitter account, which I would recommend following. Oh, I haven't uh, even heard of it. Oh, it's great. It's uh, the icon is like da vinci's uh like six-armed i forgot what the piece called you know the vitruvian man the vitruvian man with mickey mouse's face and it's called art or not art and all they do is reply to certain tweets and say art uh, and they'll retweet (laughs) them uh every now and then they say not art uh which is really funny I love it. Usually on like really backward shit, they'll be like, not art. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just like, that's somehow the best insult to someone who's like closed minded is like, not art. Um. <laughs> I just I just scrolled back. Uh, so I, I just brought up the Twitter account. I just scrolled back until I found a not art. The first not art that I can find, I, I tapped on it to see what they were responding to. And the uh, the user's account has been suspended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's just not art. Yeah. You can fill in the blanks there. Anyway. Anyway, um, uh, long story short, Shadow Class is great. Yeah, it's a really great game. I also played it yeah. on the PS2 and loved it, loved it, loved it. Uh, really big fan. And then I lent it to someone and then they stole it from me, which is a bummer. I'm amazed that anyway. I actually didn't argue for that for the game of the year last year because the remake came out last year. But I digress. The remake came out last year. I thought that came out like yeah. forever. Wasn't that on the PS3? No, it was on the PS4. Oh. Came out last year. Maybe they've remade that game twice then. Because I remember there was, there was a PS3 bundle that had that and Eco on it. Yeah, they probably have remade it multiple times. Because oh. that uh, uh, that developer team also made The Last Guardian. Right, yeah. Which like kind of had mixed reviews. I haven't played it. So yeah, I, I haven't played it either. Um, anyway, yeah. all that have been said, Shadow Colossus, really incredible game. Um, I think you really put it very well in that like there is absolutely nothing to do in between fighting the Colossus 
beyond just increasing your stamina. But that said, you know, there, there are these 16 Colossi, huge, incredible world. There's like just like scraps of, of narrative and lore that are given to you at the beginning of the game when you first start it and right at the end. Those are the only two times you get any kind of lore uh, about the world. But one of the main things um, that people pulled from in 2007 or maybe earlier when the game came out, I think it was 07, was this one line that was that the entire world was formed at the what was it the meeting of intersecting points it was like these four specific points led together and that's where the world began was this one spot and if you explore the world there are these four very specific glyphs that appear repeatedly throughout the world that appeared to be if you were looking from the top down like if you're looking if you're hovering above the world and looking down the glyphs actually are specific points on the map in Shadow of the Colossus and it's four points where if you were to draw the line between them it brings you to like this lake bed that has a colossus in it and in that lake bed if you go all the way to the bottom is a gigantic huge stone door and people were like there has to be something here there has to be a way to open this door there has to be something and there are like a bunch of secrets that people have found in that game there are like extra swords you can get there are extra items there's like a huge garden at the top of the entire world that you can can uh, climb to if you play New Game Plus enough times and get your stamina up enough. Uh, you can make it all the way to the top um, and you can eat like a forbidden fruit that actually decreases your stamina. It like it hurts you to eat it. Um, there are like a lot of secrets in that game. There's a huge bridge that extends almost the length of the entire map. Uh, and if you're standing on that bridge, you can look out and see the castle where Eco took place, which is wild. Yeah, there's a wow. lot of really cool stuff in that game. Um all of that having been said, like the the reason people expected there to be more was because the creation of that world was so intentional. Nothing is repeated. It, it is so, so hand carved that people were like, there must be something more for the people who like really love this game. And a lot of it stemmed from, um, at least based on this video essay by Jacob Geller, uh, which I will link to in the show notes this week and I highly recommend watching. It's very cool. A lot of that stemmed from the fact that there were originally going to be 24 Colossi. Uh, and they got cut down and people were like, if if we make it past that door, maybe there will be a 17th Colossus hiding behind uh. it. Like maybe that'll be the thing. Uh, and literally for years, for almost a decade, people tried to find what was behind that door. They tried to do anything they possibly could to open it. Uh, and that led to the point where people eventually started emulating the game uh, and like clipping through walls to try and see what was beyond there. And they didn't find anything be behind the door, which was a bummer. But what they did find was a bunch of unused stuff all over the place. They found a giant dam that apparently like might have housed a Colossus battle at some point that is like really intricate and beautiful. Like it is all architected the same way, like with the same level of detail uh -huh. and cares everything else in the game they found like the probable locations where all of the other uh colossi battles would have happened in the world you know the the vast empty space was actually gonna house a lot more uh boss fights which was kind of cool but at the end of the day people were like we didn't find the thing we were looking for kind of a bummer but like it was still cool to like put everything into trying to find this thing uh it was really cool to map this entire place by like emulating it and clipping through the landscape and stuff um apparently so much of that data was compiled 
that when they were doing the remake, and I think you are right, I think they did make it from scratch. When they were doing the yeah. remake, they used all of that data to actually go and like perfectly recreate the place uh, when they made the remake. Because of this one specific thread in the PlayStation forums, they were wow. like, we were able to perfectly accurately recreate this game, which is really wild. And they've gone so far, the developers went so far as to actually thank the users in that forum post for that forum, but in so also did a little thing at the end it was like thank you to everyone here uh and like i think it says the 71 steps to enlightenment or something uh and people were like wait what the fuck does that mean what is the what are the 71 steps to enlightenment and it turns out that in the remaking of the game they actually went in and added a bunch of like little light sprites that you can go find uh and if you collect all of them all 71 of them which are really difficult to find that they they mention in this video like it's hard enough to find one of these things finding all 71 is like a, a monster of a task but if you find all of them it opens up the big door that they were all oh trying to God. open for 10 years and there is actually stuff beyond there which is really great very cool it's just like a cool story and like something so singular uh or i i assumed originally was so singular um and, and i love highlighting that kind of stuff like i think it's really cool when those kinds of stories are able um to, to bubble up to the surface about games in general. But this kind of all leads me to, to ask you a kind of bigger question that I've been thinking about a lot is like, have you ever gone like way beyond the distance of what a game is asking you to do in the past? Like, has, has there ever been a time that you were like, so enamored by a game that you were like, I need to scour every inch of this. I need to see everything. Kind of like I did with A Short Hike, honestly. Like I saw pretty much everything there is to do in that game. I caught every fish. I found all the treasure maps. Like I did all the stuff that you could do in that game pretty much before I finished it. Um, But have you ever had that experience with a game before? (sighs) Wow, that's a great question. I'm also just like... I'm so happy that the door opened. I was like, I mean, Isn't I that amazing? Uh, yeah, that's great. I, I had no idea there were that many secrets to that game, which is a testament to how much there is to that. Yeah, it's rad. It's interesting. I think this is also kind of emblematic of like how we experience games, you and I. Yeah. Not that I'm not that I'm like a I know I've done this like to an extent with Fire Emblem the first time and to an extent with Short Hike where I just like I need to see how it ends, so I just go and do it. Right. I, I, I've mentioned this in passing, but growing up, I and even now, there is always a weird sadness to me having finished a game. There's almost a weird part of me that like, doesn't want to experience everything because I want to know that there's still something else. Yeah. Something about that makes the game feel alive to me that I actually don't know everything. I think about I, I, I think about this a lot. I, I mentioned Undertale a lot in passing, but a lot of that game is like when you beat it a couple of times, there's a character who asks you like, hey, there's something else here. Well, there is other stuff, but I don't know if you want to see it. Goodbye. <laughs> and like you're left with this because yeah. you're like, okay, it's obvious that like the one path that remains is like the evil path. Do I actually want to do that or do I just need to see everything there is? Yeah. And the game calls that out constantly. There's a character who's like, hey, you're not doing this because you want to. You're doing it because you have to. Right. And like, or you think you have to. Yeah. So I bring that all up because I think the last time there was a game that like I, I just like needed to see all of was probably Final Fantasy VII. I feel like that game just like I was so in love with that world as a young kid and like growing up that like mm. I've I I used to know like off the back I, <laughs> kind of embarrassing but I like I used to know by memory how to get a golden chocobo like I just told people I feel like it was like almost like a weird like carnival trick at a certain point but like <laughs> hey great. I Steven how to get a golden chocobo <laughs> and I'm like you need a carob nut uh anyway um <laughs> 
Yeah, I guess I guess that's my answer. Is like, I mean, there have been games where I just fall in love with the world so much that I I want to experience all of it. But I've never found myself like pushing the limits of that because I think that like I almost want there to be that distance. I think once I once I know everything, I feel like I I feel like I've lost that experience in a weird way. Mm. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it totally does. Um, yeah. How about you? Have you have you ever had that? Yeah, I th- I think the most recent example for me is probably Hollow Knight. Where like mm. I, I definitely didn't do everything in that game, but I did like pretty much as much as you could do um, before I was like, I just give up because this stuff is too hard. Like I yeah, um, yeah. specifically the most recent expansion, which is like that was a, a level beyond what I was like capable or willing to put into it. But I think the the best example, the, the most completionist I've ever been in a game ever was Pokemon Diamond, where wow. I had played you know, years of the Pokemon games. And for some reason that one came out and I finished it and I was like, I don't want this to be over. So I'm actually going to catch them all was my plan. Um, and at, th- at that point, I guess there were like four to 500 Pokemon, maybe more, maybe closer to 600. And I was like, okay, so th- that game was on the DS. The DS had uh, the ability to also have a Game Boy Advance game plugged in uh, while you were while you're playing so you could pull pokemon from your game boy advance games into the ds game like you could transfer them back and forth and every game every previous game had the ability to trade up pokemon from the previous generation as well in some way shape or form um so what that meant was i had to go back to pokemon red and blue which i still had the cartridge for i had to plug that in and play that game to completion and catch all 151 in that game and then trade them all up into gold and silver and then catch everything in gold and silver and then trade all of those Pokemon up into Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, catch everything in that game and then trade all that up into Pokemon Diamond and Pearl. And I did that. And it took me like years. Like it took me like two years to do that. But I did it. I did it. And it was like when I was done with it, it was like I didn't feel any like release. I didn't feel any like it wasn't like, oh, thank God, this is like, I finally like climbed this mountain um, and and everything in my life is better. Like, I didn't care, really. It was like, cool, I'm done. And I just moved on to another game, which was like kind of wild. But at the end of the day, it really was more about the journey than the destination, like to be a huge cliche about it. Like, it really was about that experience because I wasn't the only one doing it. I did it with a couple other friends and we all did it separately and we traded stuff back and forth because like I had blue and my friend had red and stuff like that. So like we kind of allowed each other to get to that point. But that was like a that was like a really long process um, that completely just stemmed from me loving Diamond and Pearl so much that I wanted to continue doing it. So, yeah. Wow. I do love giving myself kind of like rules going into a new playthrough. I could see myself doing that with Fire Emblem eventually where I like once I have played all three houses. Yeah. Be like, okay, like if they ever add like a new difficulty or like I'm going to force myself to play it this way. Mm-hmm. That stems from having, I think I'm really attracted to games that like can feel fresh in multiple playthroughs. Like yeah. somehow have enough variance that like it feels like a new experience and a new story. Right. I remember uh, <laughs> Sky. Skyrim, Skyrim I got pretty close to experiencing almost all of and uh my favorite character I ever made in Skyrim was Sue with an umlaut over the U. Great. She was a Nord Viking who her only mission was to head west. That was my rule. I was like, I'm just gonna grab an axe and just go west. <laughs> and like whoever gets in my way, true neutral. Like she wouldn't kill you, but she would just start a fight if you were in her way. <laughs> like unarmed. And I'm like, I gotta go west yeah. and eventually hit uh God, uh Markarth. 
Markarth is the Western yes, city. Yeah. And it was just a blast. It was fun to just to give myself that, like in a game that's so open to give myself one kind of like a short hike where it's like you have one goal. Yeah. And like that goal is secondary to the experience around that goal. Mm. Catch them all. Very similar. Yeah, totally. Uh, Sue heading west is like my favorite playthrough of Skyrim. I loved it. Yeah, it was great. Sue heads west. I love that. That's so good. Um, yeah, she she got really good. She had like full Daedric armor and like a giant axe. Yeah, just by heading west. Yeah, it's great. Cool. Well, hey, if you're out there listening and you have a cool story uh, about a time that you went above and beyond what a game asks you to do, uh, I would be curious to hear it. Um, feel free to send it to us any way you want. Discord, Twitter. We have an email address that I don't think I've ever mentioned on the show, but it's uh, into the Aether Podcast at gmail.com, which is long, uh, which is why I don't mention it very often. <laughs> but uh, yeah, send us uh, send us stuff however you want, and uh, maybe maybe we should wrap up. Yeah, let's wrap up. But this we covered a lot today. We did. It was like three episodes. It's nice. It's you know what? In the nicest way possible, it's nice to not talk about Fire Emblem every now and then. Even though I did kind of find a way to bring it up in passing, didn't you? I? Sure did, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> it's okay. All right. Yeah, we front loaded this episode with a lot of our normal uh, wrap up, but just want to thank you all again for listening. Truly, I feel like the show has been able to find its voice. And its intention because of the support. Yeah. I think it's kind of become like a like a really nice, like mutually beneficial evolution of the show. Yeah. I think it's also only natural by doing it for as long as we have. But it's just nice to see like what has grown around it. And uh, as, as always, we thank you for everything and just being great. I am going to unveil my new Honda Civic. No, my <laughs> uh, the first of our Patreon shout out. That's right. You gave us some money. So we're going to give you a shout out at the end of this episode. Again, amazing, amazing response. Like pretty much immediately. Y'all are wild. Um, so, so far uh, we have Akira, Andrew, Benjamin, Bolt, Christopher, Cameron, Kyle, Marcel, uh, Melly Muffin Pie, Min, Philip, Scout, and Spencer. Uh, thanks to all of you uh, for backing like pretty much immediately. Really, really cool. If you want to uh, help support the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash into the cast. Thank you to everybody who has done that so far. And uh, those of you who will do it in the next week. Um, really rad. Beyond yes, that, thank you so much. we have a Twitter account. It's at Into the Cast. We have a Twitch account at Into the Cast. Uh, there's a YouTube account as well where uh, the VODs for uh, Twitch go and uh, also coming soon some extra stuff that I don't think will be on Twitch but will just be on YouTube. And yeah, I think that's pretty much it, right? Yeah, that's, that sounds about right. Yeah, hey, if uh, if you like the show uh, and you want to help it grow uh, beyond just like Patreon stuff, uh, just share it with a friend. If uh, you think they would like it, then... Yeah, send it over. That'd be cool. And if you really like it, you can head over to Apple Podcasts and write a review. I guess that would also be very cool. But that having been said, my name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful day and maybe a short hike. Yeah. Hey, have a great short hike. Have a great short hike. Goodbye. Bye. Garbage dot online.